This is the Bridge Church Podcast, an audio ministry of the Bridge Church, a Nazarene community in Oahu, Hawaii. Please visit us in person or check us out online at bridgenaz.org. We hope to hear from you. We hope to see you. God bless. Mahalo. biggest lie. It has to do with sin. And it's a a faulty view of sin, which uh, comes first from a faulty view of God, which leads to a faulty view of ourselves. But it's this, here it is, the, the first biggest lie. It's this, that all sins are equal. Now, probably all of you have heard that before. Maybe at this moment, you're still, up to this moment, you're still believing it. I want to try to convince you otherwise this morning, all right, that all sins are not equal. This is patently not true. This is false. It's an idea that is absolutely and unequivocally not biblical, that all sins are equal. All sins are not equal, all right? If you've thought that before, hopefully you'll stop thinking it today. It's wrong. That's the first biggest lie that Christians Believe. So hear me on this. One more time, all sins are not equal. Let's be clear about that. What is equal, okay, what is equal is the end result, that is the earned wage of sinning, namely death. And Paul tells us that. So the earned wage of sin, the wage of sin is death, okay? You see, the end game of sin is the same. It's death. But saying that the end result of sin is the same is completely different than saying all the sins themselves are equal. Those are two different things. Okay? That might seem like a minor point, point, but it's not. Scripture, my friends, is clear on this. But our culture is not clear on this. Our society is not clear on this. Our culture has tried and tried and tried to blur those lines, and they've gotten pretty successful at it. They've been pretty successful at it, to blur the lines for us Christians. Sins, they actually have varying degrees of consequence in both a spiritual sense and in terms of everyday living. And I want you to see just a handful of verses that demonstrate this. Let me see if I can get this working here. Nope. Go on to the next slide. So I have a number of scriptures listed here. You can see them. So you see the first one from Numbers. Anyone who sins unintentionally. And the point is that uh, you have intentional sins and unintentional sins. We call these sins of commission and sins of omission, right? Um, Proverbs. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that he despises. Ezekiel. You'll still, you will see still greater abominations, which implies that there are lesser abominations. Matthew, anyone who relaxes one of the least of these commandments, right? So there are least commandments and greater commandments for lesser sins and greater sins. Uh, Matthew 10 and 11, because of this sin, I tell you, it'll be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. And the idea is that there was a harsher punishment for certain types of sins, and in this case, a very specific sin. In Matthew 23, you have neglected the more important or the most important matters of the law. Again, if there are more important matters, there are less important matters, and they uh, parallel with the degrees of sin. 
John 19, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. I could go on and on and on. This is just a really quick look. There are a lot more. Okay? There are different types of sin, and there are different immediate bodily or physical consequences and different immediately spiritual consequences based on the sin that you do, right? Or that I do. So why do I bring this up this morning? Because it's one of the biggest lies that Christians subscribe to today. If you subscribe to that, here's what happens. In our culture, you get muzzled immediately. If you believe this, that all sins are equal, you are essentially immediately muzzling yourself. Right? Why? Because if all sins are equal, then you have no right to call anybody else on their sin. But all sins are not equal. So I want to help you parse that out and think about it a little bit. There's a difference, hear me on this, there's a difference between making a judgment call and judging. Those are two very different things as well. Judging is ultimately up to God. He is the judge. He gets the final call. I don't get to do that. You don't get to do that. And so if we try to do that, we're playing God. But as Christians, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, as part of his body of Christ, as part of the church, we are commanded actually in Scripture. We are commanded to make judgment calls. We are commanded to do that. So enough among the Christians, at least, of this talk about uh, who are you to judge? You don't get to judge. You have no right to judge. Hogwash. We're commanded to make judgment calls. Especially when we see our brothers and sisters erring. A judgment call on their behavior is a loving thing. If you see somebody doing something bad or harmful to themselves or others or the land or whatever, a Christian brother or sister, you are commanded to call them on it. Now, you don't got to be a jerk about it, but that's still part of your role as a Christian. It's called accountability, right? So a judgment call on behavior is a loving thing. If you do something wrong, and I, as your brother in Christ, call attention to it or bring attention to it, the immediate reaction should not be to get offended. It should be to recognize that, man, he loved me enough to actually come and speak a hard truth to me. You see, our culture has got so many buying into this all sins are equal crap that now if a fellow Christian brings something to our attention, we all get offended. Who's he to say anything? He sins too. Right? And if that's you, if that's you this morning, I want to tell you that that's spiritual immaturity. That is straight up spiritual immaturity. Right? Even in Matthew, we're told, if, if you've you got a problem with someone, go to them. Talk to them. If they ain't hearing you, take another brother or sister in Christ. If they ain't hearing you, take some more people from the church. And if they don't hear you all, then be done. You've tried everything you can. But if a brother or sister calls you on something, your, your, your immediate response really should be like to thank them. Now, that's not giving you all license or me license to be watching everybody to see what everybody's doing. Right? We don't want to be legalistic 
and trying to control other people's lives. That's not what it's about. So, if you got that spiritual immaturity in you, address that. Get someone to help you address it. We're commanded, in 1 Corinthians even, to be making judgment calls about what each other's doing. That's how we hold each other accountable. And we're not called, as I said before, to judge, right? To, be, to make the final judgment. So-and-so's going straight to hell in hand. I don't get to say that. That's, that's not my role. Also, while we're on this, you and I, we're not called to judge non-Christians. We have no business doing that. We have no business. Why? Because it's pointless. As Christians, we live by a different moral code. As Christians, we live by a different ethical code and a different belief code. And so if we go to them and start calling out their sins, they don't share our codes, our belief codes, our moral codes, our ethical codes. It doesn't register, doesn't compute, doesn't make sense to them. Can we make judgment calls about their actions? Sure, but it's still probably going to be pointless. But we need not address them from the standpoint of our ethical code, right? If I, if I have a non-Christian friend, I can still say, you know, Rod, what you're doing, you might want to reconsider that. It's affecting so-and-so. It's affecting me. It's affecting you, and I can see it. But you don't have to pull out the Bible and start pointing out verses to them. So we're not called to judge non-Christians, right? So... Buying into this lie that all sins are equal, it leads to the faulty assumption that you and I have no right to say anything about anyone or their sins because we're just as sinful. Total garbage. Total garbage. That's not how it works. That, my friends, that, let me tell you this morning, that is why... That is why the United Methodist Church at this very moment is falling apart. That is why. Right? The United Methodist Church is falling apart, is crumbling before our very eyes. Right? That's why. If you subscribe to this line of thinking, then from my vantage point, we're actually doing the opposite of what Scripture is teaching us and telling us to do. And so... This is also why foundational beliefs are foundations. That they're so important. And we've got to hold on to them and guard them and protect them. The foundational beliefs are of extreme importance. And that's why I spent the first four or five Sundays starting at the very, very beginning with those core foundational beliefs. And we're still working through the articles of faith looking over these core foundational beliefs. And our belief as you all know, it starts with God. It starts with God. So we'll go on to the next slide here. But put differently, our theology starts with God. Now some of you might be thinking like, theology? Theology? Now, I'm no theologian. Wrong. That's wrong. You, if you ever think about God, hopefully you do, if you ever think about God, or try to talk about God, you're doing theology. That's literally what it means. Right? To think about God or talk about God, that's theology. Period. So we, 
all of us Christians are by default theologians or doing the theology. Right? Some of us major in it. Some of us may take it a little further. Nonetheless, we're still all doing theology. Right? And, and to have, hear me on this, to have the language, to have the words and to have the images to help you think about God and to talk about God, that's such a good thing. It's such a healthy thing. Too many congregations are linguistically bankrupt when it comes to being able to talk about God. Right? And so that word theology, all it really means is talking about God or studying the things of God. That's all it means. And that is where everything starts. We're going to go on to the next slide here. So scripture starts with, in the beginning of God. And you can see that we have the word cosmology up here as well. It's God created, as we all know in Genesis 1, the heavens and the earth. And so that's the word we use for that, right? Cosmology, a, a word we use to discuss this act of studying the origins of creation, which includes the heavens and the earth, cosmology. It just, you guys know the word cosmic, uh, cosmos, right? You all know this. That, that's all it is. It's talking about or studying the, the, the earth, especially its origins, or the universe, especially its origins. And so eventually, after God creates the world, right, the conversation moves to humanity. So watch this here. We have God, that's where it all starts, theology, God creates cosmology, right? And then it goes to humanity. And if theology is talking about God, then the word we use for talking about humanity is anthropology. How many of you have heard that word before, anthropology? Almost all of you. Incredible. So we have anthropology here. And anthropology is just talking about humans or studying things about humans, the human race. And then things go awry really fast, as we know from the, the biblical account. Humans get it twisted. They get themselves twisted, and stuff starts falling apart. Sin happens. And so there's a word we use for talking about sin, hamartiology. I bet there's going to be fewer hands raised on this. How many of you have heard this term before? All right, crickets out there. So hamartiology, it's just talking about sin or studying things about sin. That's all it really is. So it comes from this Greek term, amartia, right? Hamartiology. And so follow me here, right? You have this pattern, theology to cosmology to anthropology to hamartiology, or to put it in plainer terms, right? God to creation to humans to sin. That, that's the, the pattern thus far. Everybody's good, yeah? All right. Everybody's following me. So I'm telling you, to be able to have the language to think in these terms, right? Super helpful. I hope you're learning some things. In one of my graduate classes this week, in fact, uh, I had a student ask me if I believe, she said, uh, Professor, do you believe in the concept of original sin? I said, of course. Actually, I'm preaching on that this Sunday. And I went on to speak with her or to speak to her uh, about original sin. I was writing all over the whiteboard, and it's essentially what I was writing up there is what I'm telling you all this morning. Right? 
and she asked, do you think your congregation is going to get lost? I said, it's always a possibility, right? But I'd rather help them grow and give them things to think about rather than leave them where they are or let them get stagnant. Okay? I want them to learn. I want you guys to learn things every single Sunday. I want you to learn something every Sunday. And so I'm of the mindset that this isn't above you. It isn't above you, and it's not too deep for you. And it doesn't have to be. So I wholeheartedly believe that y'all can track with me and in doing so, stretch your vocabulary maybe a little bit and grow. That's a good thing. So we're going to go on to the next slide here. We have a few more terms. In the same way that we have a word to use when we're talking about God, creation, humans, and sin, we also have a, a few words, actually, to use when we're talking about the remedy to sin, the, the answer to sin. And since Christ is the one who offers the remedy, we have this term Christology. All right, Christology is just simply like the other things, talk about Christ or studying the things of Christ. That's all it is. And so underneath this uh, a Christology, you have the term atonement. And really, it, this seems like a big word, but it's not. If you break it down, atonement, you can see the first word at, and then the next word is one. So it's just like, at one with God, an at oneishness, right? To be at one with God, atonement. They just put the ment on there, which makes it sound more fancy. We could just call it at one, right? Um, make it a little easier. But atonement is just talking about Christ specifically as the sacrifice. We sang about that this morning. Christ as a sacrifice. And I, I, I kind of like just using that interchangeably. Atonement, justice, sacrifice, sacrifice, atonement, they're synonyms, essentially. Another term, you can see it up here, that we could use when we're talking about things related to this, the, to salvation specifically, is soteriology. I think these are in your bulletin if you want these terms. A soter, in, in the language of the New Testament, is a salvager, a savior. We all say that word all the time, savior. The people of the New Testament times would have not said the word Savior. They would have said Soter. It means the same thing. Um, and so when we talk about our Savior, right, uh, our being saved, our being salvaged, we're talking about soteriology. And so, well, I'll just say this. Before we get too far this morning, I want to bring us back to something that we touched on last week, what I called the five talking points of Scripture. All right, so we're going to move on to the next slide where we have a point. Mm, that's not right. There we go. Thank you. So you can see these points up here, right? Point one, creation. Point two, decreation. Then recreation, new creation, co-creation. And if you take the whole Bible or a whole scripture, right, and you break it down, this is how it plays out. Creation, as you know, happens in Genesis 1 to 2. Decreation, things start to fall apart. Genesis 3 to 11. Then you have this recreation where, where God's bringing renewal through Israel, right? Uh, the Israelites. Genesis 12 through Malachi. Then you have the new creation, which comes through Jesus. We read about that in the four Gospels. And then you have co-creation, which is Acts up through Revelation. That's the whole scheme of the, the scriptures, right? These five talking points. And if you want to relate the terms that we were talking about this morning, there you have them in the right-hand column. 
So we go theology to cosmology. God created the world, the cosmos, and then created humans, anthropology. Humans sinned, homartiology. And then God tried to bring renewal through the Israelites, through the Jewish people, through the Jewish lineage. And Jesus Christ came out of that Jewish lineage, Christology. And he's our savior, soteriology, and he made himself an atonement for our sins. He's the one that was able to put us at one with God. And then we have him, uh, the body of Christ, which is the church, ecclesiology. The ecclesia in the New Testament times is what it was called. That was the word essentially used for the assembly, the church, right? Everybody good? Yes. I really like this layout of Scripture. I think it makes it really easy to understand the whole sweep of Scripture. It gives a nice overview. So you can see the talking points there. You can see the terminology. You can see the Scripture sections, right? So... We, we get our insight today, hopefully, on sin, hamartiology. We're talking about sin. That's what we're, we're, we're all doing hamartiology right now. We're talking about sin. And then it's remedy, right? Soteriology. Our Savior offers himself as an atonement. And so this table is a really succinct, I think, and helpful way to get at that. Now, the last few weeks, uh, we've been looking at our Nazarene Articles of Faith, and they've sort of been driving the, the topic for each Sunday morning. This morning, we're taking actually two articles together, Articles 5 and 6. And Article 5 talks about sin, homartiology. Article 6 talks about the remedy, atonement. And so, um, because Article 5 is so dang long, right, um, and Article 6 is pretty short. I'm just going to give you the remix this morning. I'm not going to give you the original and the remix. We're just going to look at the remix together. So here we go. Let's move on to the next slide. You can read this with me. We believe that original sin was passed down from Adam. This is going to tell our story. right? This is our story. We believe that original sin was passed down from Adam and Eve to all humans. Yet, we also believe that Prior to sinning, did we get 5-0 on there, by the way, or is this the first one? I think we missed. There we go. We believe that sin and its end result, death, came into the world through the disobedience of Adam and Eve. And we believe that there are two kinds of sin, important, original sin and personal sin. We believe that original sin was passed down from Adam and Eve to all humans. Yet we also believe that prior to sinning, Adam and Eve were in a state of original righteousness. Now, you all have probably heard of original sin. How many of you have heard of original righteousness? Super important, right? Um, original righteousness. That is, they were originally pure and in right standing with God. That's kind of what righteousness is, right? To, to be righteous is to be in right standing with God. Somebody who is unrighteous is not in right standing with God. Right? Um, so when they sinned, however, that changed them. And it was their sinful state that they passed on. To be in a state of original sin is to be in a state where one is against God, has no true spiritual life, and is inclined to continue sinning. We believe that original sin remains in each individual until the heart is fully cleansed this cleansing happens at baptism via the Holy Spirit. 
We believe that every human inherits the state of original sin and that this pushes them toward personal sin. We also believe that one is not accountable for their state of original sin until they knowingly neglect or reject God's cure for it. We believe that personal sin is done willingly. It's an act of knowing God's law and failing to honor it. Here's what personal sin is not. Sicknesses, accidents, or mistakes. These things are the results of original sin, the residue of the fall, not acts of personal sin. Here's what personal sin is. Attitudes and conduct contrary to Jesus and his way of living. We believe that personal sin is, above all, a violation of the law of love. That is, loving God, loving others, loving oneself, and loving God's creation. Understood rightly, personal sin, then, is treason against Jesus and his kingdom. Let's go on to the next one. We believe that Jesus, the anointed one, this is the remedy, atonement. We believe that Jesus, the anointed one, suffered, shed his blood, and died on a cross. In short, Jesus became the sacrifice for all human sin. It's only this sacrifice that provides salvation for the descendants of Adam and Eve. That is everybody. We believe that this sacrifice covers the salvation of innocent children and those incapable of moral responsibility. For all who reach the point of moral reasoning and responsibility, this sacrifice cover their, covers their salvation only when they turn from their sin and swear their allegiance to Jesus. A little bit lengthy, but that's totally worth the read. And hopefully provides a clear uh, statement to you and a clear picture of you to you of what sin and its remedy is. I think these articles, right, I think they're really helpful in discussing sin and atonement. And since we've already talked about sin quite a bit this morning, I want to now shift gears to that other part, right? The remedy, atonement. So here's your word for the day. You're like, what? We've already had a bunch of words, right? But here, here's your word for the day. I think it's in the, the bulletin as well. Um, so we're going to go on to the next slide. Here it is, munus triplex. This is a Latin phrase. Uh, I really like that. And it just means the threefold office of Christ, munus triplex, the threefold office or the threefold duty of Christ. It's used specifically and only of Jesus, of nobody else. Right? Jesus holds this threefold office of prophet, priest, and king. And what we're going to do now is we're going to take a look at Hebrews 1 to 3, and as we do, going to see if you can discern those three offices there, prophet, priest, and king. So let's look at the next slide, which has Hebrews 1, 1 to 3. It says this, Many times and in many ways long ago, God spoke to our ancestors by the prophets. In these last days, or in these most recent days, he's spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the ages. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, also sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So did you see him there, right? Prophet, he has spoken to us by his son. 
that Jesus as prophet, he's provided purification of sins. Jesus is priest. And king, uh, the one whom the father appointed heir of all things. Or again, he sat down at the right hand of majesty. And so it's a beautiful thing, right? Right here, prophet, priest, and king. The munus triplex in Hebrews 1, 1 to 3. It's the model of atonement. It's a model of how sinful humans can get right with God, be in right standing with God. And we have to realize that Jesus is each of these simultaneously. He's not at any point just one or the other. He's always all three. Now, there may be times where one of these offices comes to the fore more than the other, but he's always all three, prophet, priest, and king. It's a very sort of Trinitarian kind of thing. The Father speaks through the Son, as does the Spirit. Jesus came proclaiming, and the Spirit emboldened him and his followers to speak truth about Jesus' identity as the Messiah. And really, that's what we're supposed to be doing still today. Speaking truth about Jesus' identity as the Messiah. That's what you and I are called to do. Part of what we're called to do. So Jesus is a prophet. And he, in the place of a priest, a Jewish priest, he, that would have offered an animal as a blood sacrifice, Jesus willingly, as the Son of God, offered himself as the blood sacrifice. We sang about that this morning. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And so Jesus became the high priest. He fulfilled the Jewish sacrificial system. It culminated in him. And the Father sent him, and he willingly obliged. And he, in his death and in his resurrection and ascension, conquered sin and death, and he established his kingdom. He sits in majesty at the right hand of the Father. He is the Father's victor. He's King Jesus. Amen? Amen. He is King Jesus. Jesus is, at all times and in all places, prophet, priest, and king. The munus triplex is Jesus. But you know what? We're going to go to the next slide. There have been, from the very beginning, many lies about Jesus. There have been many distortions. There have been many counterclaims. There have been many falsehoods. And when there are lies about God himself, track with me here, when there are lies about God himself, it has the potential to affect all your theology. Like if you get that wrong, then it's going to affect everything else. Your cosmology, your anthropology, your martiology, your ecclesiology, your satiric, it's going to affect all that. Right? But when you start toying with your understanding of sin, that, that's the big one. That's kind of like the linchpin almost, like the domino in the whole thing. If you toy with that one, if you toy with that one, it's going to work backwards and affect how you understand humans and how you understand creation, how you understand... But it's also going to work forward, right? How you understand your need for a soter, for atonement. So it works both ways. You start toying with that one and tweaking that one. It goes in both directions and affects all of your theology. 
And so we, we can't toy with that. And that's exactly what I told my grad student this week. Told her the same exact thing. You toy with that one. It's going to affect everything else you believe. On the other side of the, that, though, the positive side, we have clarity on God. And once we have clarity on God, we get clarity on who we are, on ourselves as humans. And clarity about ourselves as humans sheds light on the fact that we're sinners. Right? Somebody who doesn't think they're a sinner doesn't have clarity on themselves. And clarity about our sins and our sinful state, it brings clarity about our need for a remedy. You follow me here? We got to get these things right. What, listen, what we believe matters. What we be, all beliefs are not created equal. As much as we'd like to think that, it's not. That's not the case. So we got it right. Belief matters. Right thinking matters. It affects how we speak, how we think, how we live in this world. And so we got to get these things right. And as we come to a close this morning, I want to share a story with you. So years ago, uh, there was a successful business owner. And he, he and his company he, he made millions, right? But lately, business was just tanking. And he didn't know how to get through this, this stage, this season. So the owner announced the, the employees that were getting worried and the, the owner announces that he's going to host a dinner for all of his employees and at this dinner he's going to unveil a plan to save the company. He wanted to convey to them just how important each of them was, how important each person, how important each individual was to the future success of the organization. And so the morning of the dinner he was at home, he was working on a speech and when there was a, there was a knock on his study door there's a seven-year-old son. And his son says, Dad, I'm bored. But the dad, he couldn't afford to play. He, he wouldn't finish his speech in time. And so he picked up a magazine on his desk, and he, he thumbs through the pages, and he eventually stops on a page with a really brightly colored map of the world. And he rips out the picture, rips out the page, and he rips it into a lot of tiny pieces. And then he goes and leads his son into the living room and he throws all the pieces on the floor. He says, son, if you can put that map to, of the world back together, I'll give you 20 bucks. So the boy got down on the floor and he got to it. The dad thought he had just bought himself a couple hours of, of time to finish working on a speech because he knew his seven-year-old son had no idea what a map of the world looked like. But in like five minutes... There was another knock on the study door, and there was the boy holding the completed map. And the father was shocked, and he said, Son, how did you finish it so quickly? And the boy smiled, and he says, I had no idea what the map of the world looked like. But as I was picking up the pieces, I noticed that on the back there was a picture of a man. And so I, I put the sheet of paper down, and I put the picture of the man together because I knew what a man's face looked like. And then I placed another sheet of paper on top, and I flipped them over. And he said, Dad, I just figured if I got the man right, then the world would be right. And the man handed his son $20 and said, you gave me my speech for tonight. 
If you get the man right, you get the world right. If you get the man right, you get the world right. You get the man right, Jesus, and you'll be all right. You get the man right, you'll get the remedy right. You get the man right, and our community will be all right. This morning, I pray that we get the man right. Because that's what makes everything else right. To have that clarity. It's life-changing. But listen, it's not just about cognitively believing. It's a greater act. It's getting the man right and pledging and swearing your allegiance to that man. To the prophet, priest, and king. And that's the best decision that any of us can ever make. There's nothing better than knowing that Jesus is with you and to still the words of the parrot, Jesus is watching you. There's nothing better. So friends, I want you to consider that this morning. And we're, we're going to stand up, we're going to sing. Can we sing another song? Yeah? Let's just sing, sing uh, Amazing Love again. I don't know. We're going to sing again. I, we're going to open the altars. Kind of put you on the spot. Thanks, brother. We're going to open the altars. If you want to come pray, come pray. Pray at the altars. Pray with me. If you want to make a decision this morning, I want you to come pray with me. We're going to stand and sing together, and then I'll come back and offer a benediction. So let's stand and sing one more time. Here.